0: Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm Patrick Holland.
1: And I'm Connie Guillermo.
0: Wait, Connie, what are you doing? We're, you, we're not normally together on this show. What's going on?
1: <laughs> well, funny you should ask, Patrick. We're together for a very special episode to talk about the Emmys. Cue Emmy music.
0: That's right, the Emmys are coming up uh, very shortly. And as Connie and I realized, we've gotten to talk with a lot of actors and artists involved uh, who either were nominated for an Emmy or have worked on shows nominated for Emmys. And we're gonna share some of those conversations that we've had in a compilation episode that you're gonna listen to right now.
1: There's one thing I wanna talk about first. Okay. We've interviewed a lot of interesting people who've approached lockdown and the pandemic in, in a variety of different ways. And obviously they've had to stay creative and continue to produce. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are as you've talked to all of the people that we're about to listen to. Was it a good time for creativity and entertainment? Do you think that this pandemic changed the nature of, I guess, what we're seeing and what, what's hit the culture?
0: A nice light topic to start the show, Connie. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it definitely has changed it. I think we see that in obvious ways, whether it's the way um, movies are being released. Um, We're going to talk about a movie called Black Widow in a little bit um, and how that was released both online and in the movie theater at the same time. So that's that's a big change. But then I think what's more interesting is I think the creativity and how things are made. The sense I've gotten from the people we've talked to is that it's given them a corner to be pushed into. And when an artist is in the corner, they they tend to just find a way to create something that's a little unique, a little different.
1: I mean, I think to your point that when people are pushed into a corner, they have to come up with creative solutions. And we've certainly seen you know, a continuation of shows coming out and movies coming out. But I do think that this time has put a sense of thoughtfulness and seriousness on the work that I appreciate that people have. They, they understand that you know life is short. We've all seen that over the past year, some more closely than others, depending on how you, you were personally affected by the pandemic, but it's brought a new sensibility to the topics that I think people are interested in covering and maybe an appreciation for the fact that you can collaborate remotely. I mean, I talked to Peter Frampton, who worked on an album where all of the musicians basically you know, did work on their own individual sets. They did riffs on their iPhones and were emailing things about. So that level of creativity is amazing to see. And I think that's a segue into one of the first shows that you're going to talk about as a comment on our culture.
0: OK, so I'm going to assume that one of the shows you saw is The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Absolutely.
0: Then you know our first guest who I, I our, our first person I want to talk about is O.T. Benley. He plays the character Luke on the show. Who's, if you don't remember the name Luke, you know him as June's husband before all the stuff that happened, happened.
2: There's someone else who I think could help. Nick.
3: Do you want me to meet up with Nick?
2: <laughs> no. No, I don't want you to meet with Nick. This is our best chance to get Hannah.
0: We talked to him right before the opening of this small Marvel movie called Black Widow. Did you get to see that, Connie?
1: (laughs) I haven't yet. It's on my watch list.
0: Well, um, without giving anything away, he plays the character Mason, who is a fixer for Natasha Romanoff, AKA the Black Widow a.k.a. Scarlett Johansson, and his relationship to the Black Widow is similar to how James Bond has Q. The O.T. said that there was a lot more flirting.
1: (laughs) Very cool. Very cool.
0: Yeah. Also, he's going to be playing Barack Obama in an upcoming series. So, you know, a nice, a nice light American (laughs) presidential role for someone who's from the UK. Uh, But let's talk about what his Emmy nominations for. And it's for his portrayal of the character, Luke. He's played for four seasons on the Hulu show, The Handmaid's Tale. And here's a bit of my conversation with him about the show. And you've done this role over the course of four seasons. How has playing Luke changed for you from when you're just starting on season one to ending in season four now,
2: I mean, I think it's really interesting going on a journey with the character for this point. I've never done that before. You know, a bunch of you know, even Lizzie Moss has done like you know, she did Mad Men for however many years, and so it's different for me. And what's interesting is most of the time, you know, like with Mason, I will do something like they call it sense memory, or I, I I'll have memories that I've imagined Mason has in the moment. For Luke, I actually have memories as Luke. I remember four years ago when this thing happened. And so that's a very different experience. I have a very different kind of like emotional connection to him.
0: I would say, I mean, the, watching the show, it's so intense, which is one of the reasons so many of us love it. Um, but I saw a photo you you uh, shared recently on Twitter and it's um, Elizabeth Moss and she's like uh, pregnant and she's sitting on a bag, bed with a big smile and you're off to the side of the bed and... Uh, the best I could describe what you're doing is you have like a jaunty leg up pose. What's going on there?
2: <laughs> it's a great, it's a great description. That leg was jaunty indeed. Um, you know what? Lizzie and I just have a fun time on set. You know, she's really funny. Um, she, she's one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. So when we work together, it's full on banter um, all the time. In fact, we get told off for it sometimes. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we're just it around, acting the fools as usual. What kind of set leader is, is Elizabeth? It, it's so effortless. Uh, what it was seemingly effortless. What she does, she has Elizabeth has a real knowledge of camera and production, and you know she directs episodes this year, and so you get such an idea of how well-rounded her savant TV ness is, and. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's competence and compassion and passion um, that she comes with.
0: And you mentioned that you guys sometimes get in trouble off set. I'm wondering, as there's such a large ensemble, uh, especially of regulars on that show, does everyone kind of have their offset role as like someone the class clown, is someone like the older sibling looking out for everyone?
2: I mean, they're all a bunch of freaking jokers, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> Amanda is hilarious. Um, Samira, you know, they're they're all they're all great they're just funny people i i love coming to set and and working with them um of course alexis is a little bit more reserved and super smart i love chatting with her and they they're, they're just Yvonne one of my my one of my closer friends on on set you know so they're, they're just max is brilliant you know because he's a director as well i i, I re- i'm Bradley, the political mind who i always go to to, to understand some things that are going on in US politics. It's, it's just such a, I love these guys.
0: And there's always something going on in US politics, especially during the course of the show actually, which is I think one of the reasons of its popularity. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a little more seriously though, because um, your character and obviously Jane's character have gone through so many traumas on the show. Um, and how does that affect you as just OT the person? Like how do you deal with that? And have you learned from the traumas your character's gone through?
2: Yeah, you know, I kind of think that people who decide to become actors and indeed artists are people who have a need to work their life through their art, you know, I think for some people going on stage and standing in front of a thousand people that's hell, but I think for theatre actors that's something that they have a desire to do on some level. And so, so yeah, I've cried on set many, many times and, and, and imagined myself going through terrible, terrible traumas, but that's why I got into the game. No tears for me. I'm, this is I chose this life. So yeah, it's fine, I think. <laughs>
0: The Handmaid's Tale is nominated for so many Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Directing for Drama Series, Outstanding Music Composition, Outstanding Lead Actress for Elizabeth Moss, Outstanding Supporting Actor with O.T. Fack Finley, and so many, so many other Emmys. Like, it is ridiculous. I can't, like, I can't even count how many. It's like more than a handful.
1: (laughs) All deserved, all deserved.
0: All right, Connie, so let's move on to the next one we have. And the next one we have is actually the show, The Nevers on HBO.
1: We just talked about one period piece, and now we're going to a different period piece that in a totally different time frame. But The Nevers, if you haven't seen it, is a show about people who get superpowers of sorts after some phenomenon happens. And I won't go into too much detail and spoil it. And what happens when you get superpowers is that characters can be good, they can be bad, they can be misunderstood. This show is set in Victorian England. So it's very moody, it's very stylized. Anybody who's a fan of Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes, it's got that multi-textural vibe and you really
3: get to see what life is like. Ah, true, Sharon, you should have been at the service. You're a bitter poor example to the girls.
4: But I'm so tough and mean and I hate sentiment and also people and myself. Ah, Lord, Mary Brighton trusted you and you failed her. Is that what you think?
3: I think the longer we wait to find the killer, the greater the chance we never do. But it's also a
1: complicated story that has gotten a bit of mixed reviews. I'll say I liked it. Patrick, what do you think? And g- give our listeners a little bit of background about the numbers.
0: Yeah, I like it. It reminds me of like League of External Gentlemen in a way. It reminds me of like X-Men and Victoria England. And these are all like uh, meant as positive comparisons. Um, I think some of the, the mixed reaction to the show is uh, one of the creators or the creator of the show originally was Joss Whedon, um, who people might know from like series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or The Avengers. Uh, The pre Zack Snyder version of of Justice League is, uh, or I guess the OG Justice League is him, Um, but he created the idea, he came up with a premise and he stepped away from the show after filming these uh, most of these episodes, but now the show is run by Philippa Goslett um so now we have a female showrunner who's taking over this really cool idea i also like the show because it's not based on a comic book it's it feels like it's based on the comic book but it's its own thing and it's its own world
1: and i'm glad that you mentioned league of extraordinary gentlemen because it is that that was a perfect comparison as well i liked league of extraordinary gentlemen as well
0: (laughs) i i i uh i like it, uh, I, I like the comic book better, and I would be interested if someone ever wanted to retry that because it's basically the Avengers. But you know, it's in Victorian times, it is all these characters you had to read in middle school and high school for the most part. is great,
1: yeah. It's got one of um, my favorite lines when they, Stuart Townsend's getting shot, and the guy he, he the guy does he doesn't die, right? The bullet smells off him, and the guy goes, What are you? and he says, I'm complicated. That's my point <laughs> in the whole movie. But anyway, that's a different story.
0: One of the things I got to do is I got to talk to two of the lead actors. I got to talk to Laura Donnelly and Anne Skelly, who are in The Nevers. And for clarity's sake of our Emmy bingo card, uh, The Nevers is nominated for Outstanding Special Visual Effects in a Single Episode. But here, let's take a listen to my conversation with Anne and Laura about the show, The Nevers. Now, you talked earlier, Laura, about um, just the parallels between the show and, and current day, and, and especially a power struggle. And one scene that really stuck out to me in the first episode is the there's a scene in the lobby of the opera. And it, both of you are there, and there's a, a few characters there, including a character named Lord Masson, who calls, you a, calls um, Amalia afflicted. And then your character corrects him, says, touched, I'm touched, not afflicted. And he says, perhaps some women are more fortunate in their ailment than others— and your character, replies, more, suffer from society's perception than their own dehabilitation. I'm curious two things: one, how did you approach that scene? And um, maybe both of you could speak to the second part. Why is that so significant to these two characters in the show?
3: In terms of the approach uh, to the scene, it was it was a fascinating one to to film actually, because the idea was that. Um, we wanted it to begin as very separate conversations between a bunch of people, and that and that they could be viewed from far, not far, but the camera would be further out, um, so that it didn't. It just seemed like a very cordial conversation among people who don't know each other very well. But by the end of the scene, the cameras would have really come in so much more and just, you know, sh- show the tension that was existing in those moments. And th- that really got to the crux of the issue um, in terms of the the power struggle and the struggle that the touched have in this society to, um, they don't just want to make themselves heard. They, it's simpler than that. They just want to be allowed to exist um, and not be seen as inferior or, or even dangerous. And so, especially at, at the beginning of the show, through episode one, um, and really one to four, it's, it, it is so much about their survival, just their basic survival. So she's having to find the different ways of communicating what the touched are going to need in that society, depending on who it is that she's confronted with in any given moment. You know, she'd probably love to just kick Matt into the ground, but she can't. <clears throat> and uh, she's, she's beginning to learn for herself how those, how those systems and those politics work.
4: Yeah, and I, I think, like in terms of like ailment, you know, when someone labels you as a, um, you know, and you have this ailment, you're, um, uh, what, what was the word that Masson used? Afflicted. Like, you know, afflicted, using yeah. these terms and wording are really important when, um, uh, talking about someone else's place in the world and their identity. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of like you know these conversations we're having about like uh uh not not able-bodied actors or what would you call it um here's me not knowing the wording but like the, when the world has never been made for you it's trying to tell you that you're the wrong thing that you're the you're the one who needs to change or to be submissive or to shut up or head down when the case is that the world should be uh make allowances for uh every kind of person to exist and to function at their very best and um, I think there's something in that it just it just reminded me there of of that kind of conversation of um you know identity and also like place in the world and 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 I just found it spoke a bit to that side (sighs)
0: You talked a little bit about getting to know each other. And there's such a chemistry on screen. And I know I've talked to actors before. And sometimes it's just there. Other times it's not. Sometimes you don't have to do anything. It just seems like it's there. But I'm curious, is there anything you guys did to develop the chemistry between the two of you and even your characters off screen that that kind of informs what we see on screen?
4: Besides, for me, besides desperately needing Laura to be my friend, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's the chemistry you're talking about, like my pleading with my eyes, love me. Um, (laughs) But I I don't know. We had a chemistry test and I feel like we walked into uh, the room and and just like, we're like, hey, we're Irish. That's that's that done. Um, Yeah, Laura's, I feel like, just the coolest gal on earth and she's just so funny and cool and smart and i just creep into her trailer and she plays rufus wainwright to me and Mm. um you know and i see what snack she has that day It's, 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 (laughs) it's very easy
0: All right, Connie, so let's move on to our next show and it's Perry Mason on HBO. I think is have we only had shows that are set in period <laughs> times? There,
1: there's a lot of nostalgia running through this concept of designs and what people have been focusing on over the past year, so yes, a lot of period dramas.
0: Maybe also it's like comfort food a little bit, especially <laughs> with Perry Mason. But this is an, unlike the Perry Mason that maybe uh, people growing up had seen in reruns. Uh, so, this is a brand new Perry Mason, and I got to interview actor Chris Chalk, who plays Paul Drake, uh, who's an LA beat cop. And now, just for our Emmy guide here, this Perry Mason is nominated for multiple Emmy Awards, including um, Outstanding Cinematography, Outstanding Supporting Actor for John Lithgow, Outstanding Production Design, and Outstanding Lead Actor Matthew Reese or Matthew Rice. I don't know how you say his name. The guy from the Americans, he's amazing. How how do you say his name, Connie?
1: <laughs> I'm going to go with Matthew Rice, and I'm going to agree with you. He was amazing in the Americans.
0: A- and, and in this show, he's he plays kind of this broken Perry Mason, which I like.
1: And this is the scruffy, not clean-shaven <laughs> Perry Mason. Right? Matthew Reece has this three-day perfectly you know, scruffy beard. And he's, like you said, he's a broken man. He's dealing with some trauma in his life. He was, right, he's a soldier, if I recall, the first episode, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's, it's before Perry Mason became
2: slick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then I'll add on to that. I think the other significance, Connie, as uh, we were talking, is the fact that Chris's character um, is a cop in the 1930s. And the fact that he's a black cop is unusual. And also in the original series, the, the character he plays is played by a white actor.
5: Every day I'm
0: scared. I'm going to let it all up. Why are you digging so hard? The way I play the game. Chris talked to me all about that. Let's take a listen. Okay, so uh, one of the big things that has been entertaining a lot of people during the pandemic is the show Perry Mason on HBO. I have a lot of questions about that. I guess the first one is when you were first pitched Perry Mason, what was the pitch, and what was your reaction?
5: <laughs> that's funny.
0: First time I got,
5: it was just an email. You know, it's just auditions. We're just hanging out. The audition comes through. It says Perry Mason, and I just immediately discarded it, to be honest. I was like, oh, that's just a bunch of white people. If it's the show I think it is, it's got <laughs> nothing to do with it. literally. And then I and then I saw Paul Drake, and I went, wait a second. Ain't that supposed to be like an old, tall white man? Let me check this out. And then I realized they're just, once I read it, I I, I, I got it a lot more inspired to work on it because they took Paul Drake, this classic character played by an older white male and completely invested in him being a young black man in the thirties. And when I say invested in, they really took their time and explored him and they continued to. And, and with obviously as we all get around the table and start talking, it gets more and more deep and more and more delicious. But once I, I read the script, put myself on tape and then eventually they called me to talk with Tim Van Patten, and I went over to his home in New York. And it was lovely just sitting, talking with him. And we never once had a moment of discomfort while talking about race. And that is everything to me. In fact, he was, he was leading the conversation more so than anything, which, which made me feel so comfortable in him taking care of this character. Cause I've been a part of a lot of things where, you know, I I am, I know the role my black character is serving in that white narrative. And this just Mm. feels like a narrative where stories intertwine, and that's what made this a definite green for go, let's take this gig. Who is Paul Drake? Paul Drake is a, a family man. More than anything, he's a young man who wants as much as he can have in this world without disturbing the peace of himself and his family. He's a black man in the 30s, which means he's heavily oppressed, but being a police officer and not a porter gives him more room and more space, more Uh, a stature in the community. But once you step outside of that community, it's done. He's completely still just a black dude. And he is then tested when he meets Perry Mason and runs into this case with this, With well, as far as Paul's concerned, it's just a mouthpiece and a, where's this blood splat coming from on these stairs? But what it ends up being is a test of, do you want to be the person you say you want to be or do you want to coast? Paul has been very happy to coast because he's been receiving like he's been receiving a great life by coasting. And now that he's challenging himself by dealing with Perry by dealing with this case that puts pressure on his wife, it put pressure on his family. It's it's really a, a young man dealing with is he a hero or
0: not? And how do you approach playing someone a character from the 1930s um, that it sounds different from you uh, the little I've read about you.
5: Yeah, Paul's uh, a Paul's a lot
0: different for me. Whenever
5: I start any character, I find what they love, uh, which is a thing I had to do early on when I was doing plays that involved like genocides, and we were meeting the people who committed genocide, and that was tough. But through that process, I learned that everybody's doing it because they love something so, so much. And that creates a lot of compassion for any character. And what Paul loves more than anything is his family, is his wife, is the potential for his family. And it's really put to the test because if Paul is honoring the love of his family,
0: maybe he shouldn't take this case on, you know? Oh, the other thing too, is the costumes. The costumes are amazing. Those hats, like, I'm like, I just want to go back to the thirties to wear um, that, like those fedora hats are amazing. What does wearing those clothes and your, your police uniform, how does that influence the character? How does it influence your performance? I think it changes absolutely everything.
5: Clothes now are made to like, to, to, to endure they're made to for us to move however we want but back then you're investing like Paul 1930s black police officer he doesn't have a lot of money when he buys something it has to last and so that completely changes how you move inside of the clothes like I'm not going to throw my arm up and rip my new jacket you know as Paul Drake and so it really does limit not I mean the weight of so one the casual clothing is, is delicate. It's all very fine material. So I do find that I move differently. It all weighs quite a bit. It's all very hot. But everybody back then, especially in the African-American community, when they dressed up, no matter what, no matter how poor they were, they dressed up. They looked beautiful. <laughs> uh, and in the police uniform, I don't know how they do it. I don't, We were filming on those rooftops 92 degrees every time. It was every time. It was so hot. And then you've got this fifteen-pound weight of an outfit that adds about thirty degrees. And but but we had a great team of, uh, Jenny and Ali and Jeannie. They would uh, always let me know when we were turning around and go, all right, let's disrobe. And we turned. We we eventually got down to like a thirty-second in, one minute out, <laughs> with, uh, quick dress, quick change. I'd say, is, that, is the uniform, is it like wool? Because it looks it wool. Is, it is as wool, it is, it is the <laughs> original wool. It, if you want a material that breathes, we don't have it on the show. It's Nothing the opposite is. side of wool. Every, every uh, tank top that I wore, I think they must've had 10 or 12 for me because I soaked through them between takes. That's how
0: heavy and hot the, uh, the clothing were. I mean, in one sense, it sounds horrible. But in the other sense it's like I kind of I kind of want to do that. I kind of want Oh, wanna- you want to do it. You want right? to right? do it.
5: Yeah. Like this is not a complaint. This is an observation. I mm-hmm. loved every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> like-
0: Okay, so the last person I want to share with you, Connie, is not in a period show, (laughs) but is in a variety show. And it's uh, the writer Lauren Ashley Smith, and she's the head writer of a black lady sketch show.
1: So this is a show that's also on my to watch list. And tell me, I mean, I know it's breaking ground, right? Because it's mainly cast of black women comedians and written by a Black woman. I mean, this is great to see history being made on television finally, right? With all of this uh, attention on the fact that we get to have uh, different perspectives and see, you know, what life is actually like, not some fictionalized version of what America is about. But what do you like about this show? What made you laugh? So what
0: I like about a Black Lady Sketch Show, I think first, it's just really funny. I mean, this, it's this, hysterical. Um, And then there's the historical significance. So Lauren Ashley Smith is the first head writer of a variety show who is a black woman, which in some ways is amazing, but also, yeah, there's something very sad that's taken what 2020, 2019 technically is when she, the show started that that's taken that long. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. It's ridiculous that it's taken that long. And I'm just so glad to see that it's been nominated and recognized for the work.
0: Yeah, she talked about what writing was like and the writer's room. In fact, um, I'm gonna play some of that for you right now. And also she talked about probably one of their um, most uh, hyped sketches, or there's so many sketches that are hyped from that show, but uh, one that included the actor, Angela Bassett, who also, uh, this is the season one got nominated. Angela Bassett got nominated for her performance in season one. And now as you and I are talking in 2021, they're up for season two has been nominated, including Lauren Ashley Smith herself as a writer.
1: I I love the names of these episodes. Your boss knows you don't have eyebrows. Where are my background singers? I think that's something that all of us can relate to in our life. Where are my background singers? I need background singers.
0: One uh, One of the things Lauren talks about in this clip is one of my favorite sketches, which is from season one, which includes Angela Bassett, Aptly titled Angela Bassett is the baddest bitch.
6: I can tell by her witches. Ah, uh, well, there's nothing wrong with being an okay bitch. What? Oh, this uh-huh. bitch will lose the man as long as you're not a basic bitch. Okay, she fanned it. So,
0: Connie, now you really want to watch the Black Blade Sketch Show, huh?
1: <laughs> I absolutely want to watch it. Uh, maybe I'll be cutting out at lunch today to go take a sneak peek.
0: Yeah, I may have, uh, have someone block that time off in your calendar. <laughs> also, just for our Emmy bingo card, this show has so many Emmy nominations in 2021. It's nominated for Outstanding Writing for Variety Series, which is Lauren Ashley Smith, Outstanding Picture Editing, Outstanding Guest Actress, which is Avon Nicole Brown, Outstanding Guest Actress, which is Issa Rae, um, and Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. And if you think of probably a stalwart like Saturday Night Live, it's going right up against that. How exciting is that, Connie?
1: It's amazing. It's fabulous. Yay. Go girls. <laughs> Go
0: girls. Uh, you got to watch this because there's a, a sketch that you would love. Uh, just even off that, that, that exclamation there. So let's take a listen to my interview with Lauren Ashley Smith. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, just what it feels like to be in a writer's room and with all those amazing performers, too, working on that show, because it definitely has a different vibe. And I think that's part of the appeal for me, at least.
6: Yeah, I think a lot of the writers in the room, um, me included, came from a background of being usually the only woman or black woman or black person or queer person or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in a writer's room just because of the way that writer's room typically look. And so there was such a freedom and a weight off and a jubilation that occurred when we realized that you got to kind of take off that jacket of like being like, okay, now here's my only woman jacket. Take that off. Here's my only black person jacket. Take that off. And like only the cool t-shirt of the comedy writer is underneath. Like that was such an amazing feeling um, to experience for all of us. And it just frees you up and opens you up to create things that are distilled down to the rawest version of your truth. Um, when you don't have to explain yourself.
0: Now, something that was amazing that happened in 2020 for a Black Lady Sketch Show was. You guys were nominated for an Emmy Award, or a few of them, but specifically mm-hmm. an Emmy Award for Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. I so, say, um, what does the nomination mean to you now, just ahead of season two getting ready to to air?
6: It still is just as exciting and gratifying as it was when it happened last year. Like I'll never forget that ever. I'll never. I will never get over that. I will never be like, oh, you know, like I. It always will just mean the most (laughs) for in perpetuity um but the you know the thing is is that like the real true greatness is that we got to make another season of the show like i i do not take that for granted at all i'm so grateful that we got to make it and that we got through it during a really tough year um and that we were able to do it that means the most
0: So before we go, I want to give you a moment to reflect on the conversations we've heard and maybe some from guests that we didn't get to hear in this episode.
1: Well, I I think that we started this segment talking about how the pandemic has changed creativity, how it's affected the entertainment industry. I mean, you mentioned right at the outset that we're now seeing things go to theaters and streaming. That's been a change in the entertainment industry. Obviously, binge watching has been around for years but man do i really appreciate it since we've been in lockdown that i can just sit down and watch you know six seasons of lost if that's what i want to do and i'm not saying i did that exactly but really appreciate that so much wonderful amazing television right we always hear about the golden era of television and we're living through it
0: right now. I absolutely think we, we are living through it. And I think the, even the word television seems kind of off because we're also watching it on our laptops, on our phones, on our iPads. So maybe we're going to a theater to see some some of the, the movies, at least, that we see on our streaming services. Like, the line is blurred, and it is such a, a wealth of content. And I also think we should do a... Uh, a Lost Reunion episode for ISO, Connie, (laughs) if you're you're an expert. Um, But I want to just say one last thing. I think part of the other fun is just listening to all these wonderful artists, actors, and and writers. And in the case of Lauren Ashley Smith, talk about how how they do all this work. Because it definitely, it leaves me inspired.
1: I I agree. And I have to say, I'm going to throw in a nod to technology. How technology has helped people Be creative and produce new shows and bring innovation and help bring diversity to the screen. Because so many more people have access to tools that once upon a time cost tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now you can film an episode on your smartphone. And so maybe next year when we're talking about the Emmys, we'll be reviewing and talking about shows that have won awards that were filmed by some kid out in some small town Uh, Who wants to be the next Lauren Ashley Smith or the next Josh Whedon and that low tech allows us to have just a diversity of content that we can all appreciate.
0: I think that's good. And and we'll say the creative side of Josh. We'll leave it there. Um, (laughs) But I think with that being said, go watch the Emmys. And uh, as usual, I just want to thank Connie for, for talking with me about the Emmys. And I want to thank you guys for listening. You can watch the Emmys Sunday night on CBS, September 9th. Also, if you like these clips, you can go back and listen to our full interviews with all these amazing people um on our podcast please take a moment and subscribe to i'm so obsessed on your favorite podcast app and if you really like this episode please rate it until next time take care
1: and be safe